Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I don't know. Should be something unusual, some kind of a novelty that... Uh... Well, tell me, Frankston, what do you think of the anomaly up here in Vermont? Who knows? Maybe we can dig up a Democrat. It's stoner. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Sun Cinema Podcast, a weekly radio show that examines the highs and lows of the medium of film through the filtered lens of Washington, D.C.'s only privately owned art house cinema, Suns. I'm your host, Jason Cauley, and with me, as always, is my co-host and the proprietor of Sun Cinema, Ryan Hunter-Mitchell. Ryan? Morning, Jason. Well, what? yeah, what? We, had, we had to do a take two, Ryan. Uh, I'm taking apart the equipment in, yeah, the, uh, just in the studio right now. Our mic just like dropped to the ground. and uh, No, I was messing with stuff and no. trying to situate it. Well, I mean, these, these things We're are, here. Uh, yeah, these things happen and, and they certainly happen on the campaign trail and it's Super Tuesday and here we are. And We're taking a day off the campaign trail right. uh, today to um, cover the ever important event of uh, Super Tuesday. There's a bunch of states voting today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably not listening to this today, but if you are and you live in one of the many states, we'll go through them all, but if you live in one of those states, you should go out and vote. If you're going to vote for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> if you're not, how about, how in about my opinion, with, don't vote. Well, in my opinion, I just want more than, you know, a quarter of our nation's population to vote. So just go vote. Just turn yep. out. That yep. would be great. Not today, though. Turnout in November <laughs> is when it actually matters. <laughs> That's You're hearing it here. Yeah. Un, uh, unbiased uh, across the my table. Complete, my completely biased. See, I'm... I'm entirely biased because I don't like the. Uh, remember in the the early aughts, we had the we had the rock the vote campaign. Oh, sure, like, sure, sure. You know, get out the vote, get out the vote. But they wouldn't say who the hell to vote for, which I think is pretty in- disingenuous. Uh, sure, Puff Daddy or whoever it was who was running kind of rocked the vote at the time. I think it was kind of implied that he was like, go vote Democrat. Man, and, Springsteen was part of that. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in general, they got, they got a lot of liberal artists you know, so on board, liberal by and large art, right yeah so it's liberal artists and it's obviously appealing to young people so they're trying to it is obvious that they're trying to get a certain demographic to vote but just say it just come on <laughs> that right, was, right right i think there was a lack of guts and i'll that. give republicans credit for that they do that very exactly. well yeah you yeah know, they're well, they make no bones about it you know yeah go to church and stuff like they'll t- they'll tell you right. straight up like what to do um, and maybe certain Democrats are doing that, but I think you should just go out, tell people who the hell to vote for. <laughs> tell them who to vote for. <laughs> make it easy on them. Yeah, make it easy. Come on. Right. No, no one has enough time to think about this stuff. Um, but this is very uh, great for uh, movie talk because we always cover the elections or, or yeah, something political. You know, I mean, like, it, and it's, there's a dearth of this. I mean, we love making films that have statements oh, yeah. we love making films that you know you have this kind of natural division between you know republicans and democrats and and depending on what purview you're looking through you know you get the like extreme almost you know mussolini like level of of right-wing conservatism mm-hmm. and on, on the other side you get you know a liberal that you know 
quite frankly, you just wouldn't trust to you know check your mail, you know, sure. yeah, <laughs> for, yeah, for yeah, lack yeah. for their Completely. lack of ability to do anything. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it, it, it's a perfect world for film to mm-hmm. exist because all of these things are like it's like sports on film, right? Like the drama's already there. You're just capturing it. And You're just so, showing the fun stuff. Right, right, right. And uh, and if you do a good job with that, and and shockingly, there are a lot of great political films. I thought. I don't know. I suggested it last week or whatever when we were texting back and forth, and I, I thought, oh, I don't know if I should have said that. There might only be like ten, oh, you yeah, know, good tons. political, and there are. I don't know why I thought that, but I, I immediately like recoiled a little bit. And I was like, I don't know if I should do that. No, but I think as it's soon fun. as you look, you're like, oh yeah, there's nothing but political <laughs> films. Yeah, and you don't even have to stretch. Uh, you know, I mean, in liberal Hollywood, uh, there's often like. In any movie, you know, if it's a movie about a dog in suburbia, <laughs> it, they could, it'll have a little political insinuations here and there, or even something like Armageddon. Oh, sure, it's like sure, sure. Politically charged with a certain ideology, but yep. just on the sport of politics, there are a ton of actual movies or the the figures of politics. And it's been happening since film's inception. You know, I mean, since the beginning, politicians saw that very early on, uh-huh. like, oh, this is going to be an amazing tool for me to communicate to the masses, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, even before radio, really, you know, really? Uh, there was film. And, and and using that, you know, platform. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, you know, we, from a, a creative standpoint, I mean, creative filmmaking versus, you know, uh, somebody making a commercial for themselves or someone making a documentary, which there are tons of great political documentaries as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and I've listed... You know, we've listed quite a few in here, but um, yeah, early on, like filmmakers, the early filmmakers were having kind of fun with politics in film. There's, oh, a, sure. there's a film from 1910. It's a short, silent film uh, called A Dainty Politician. Uh, Again, 1910. So whatever the, the name is, whatever it meant in 1910. It's probably a big diss. Yeah, or or some yeah some some sort of diss, but uh, anyway, it's about this politician who is corrupt and yeah. who is running a corrupt campaign and like stealing votes and all of all this right. stuff. Like it's right in the middle of everything that's being talked about on the Washington Post or the New uh-huh. York Times today. They're they're right in the thick of it in 1910. And I mean, if you go back in, I mean, if you're a historian out there, you're you're already shaking your head because you know, but. If you go back and look at some of this stuff from the early inception of, of our, our country and the voting process uh-huh. in the 17 and 1800s, I mean, it was brutal. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, people sure. were physically violent all the time. You know? yeah. like, it was a real thing. Like, politics were a real uh, hotbed of emotion, yeah, as yeah. they are now, but like... Back then, for some reason, it was a much more you know physical, tangible thing on the streets of Washington D.C., especially. Um, and it was an easier time to shave your mustache and go back to the voting booth, right? right? It's a little <laughs> exactly. trickier now. Exactly. I don't know. There's a lot of beards walking around in Washington sure, D.C. Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, so 1910. That's a, so basically as soon as the train pulls in, as soon as the movie, train pulled yeah. in, yeah, somebody figured out like, oh, I can make a movie about politics. Yeah. Um, um, and then we get a little darker. This goes back to my hometown, uh, oh, of okay. Thousand Oaks, on uh, the yeah, Jungle Ranch is yeah, like where right. they filmed a lot of stuff in For the sure. early silent era in Thousand Oaks. Yeah, it's like your backyard, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right on the main street, they filmed uh, a 
pretty uh, horrible revisionist movie that had terrible tangible effects. A movie called Birth of Birth of the Nation. Birth yeah, of a, Birth a of Nation. Nation. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, no, for sure. D.W. Griffith. Um, I mean, the clan in that movie are the heroes. I the, mean, the clan truly. are the heroes. Uh, and, and it's I mean, considered like the first real film. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, like that's the benchmark we sat, you know, in 1916. Like, this is what a film is. This is how you tell a story. Disregard the clan. And, it, <laughs> and, and it's an epic. Uh, actually, I, I don't know if anyone has tried to watch it, but mm-hmm. it's long. It's I watched it maybe five years ago. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching parts of it in like media class when I was younger. But sure. It, it's hard to get through. Um, but but it's a fully developed film. Yeah, no, it, has, it really uh, was the first, like, this has a beginning, middle, and end. All the, the kind of, I mean, D.W. Griffith was the guy who realized, like, oh, I can push in. If I shoot this at one angle, then I can turn around and shoot it from the other angle and then cut it back and forth. Like, early edit, oh, you know, sure. basic edits that we still use every time we make a film today uh, were invented on that on that film, or at least captured on that film in a tangible yeah. way where people could use that as a as a benchmark, you know. And uh, so the cultural importance of this movie is that it's actually showed at the White House. It's it's pretty yeah. critically received well. It ends up being why the Klan goes up in numbers and becomes like a force for the next 40, And what time years. in with World War One and then post-World War One? you know, I mean, just... And, and watch out for the, the clever um, political tricks it takes. I mean, if, if you're, I assume if you're listening to this, you're not like a fan of demagoguery and you're may be frightened by the by the racism of like the Trump administration. Um, but a lot of the weird angles, it's not just dog whistles. I mean, it's a, it's a heavily racist movie. But it does these things, and I kind of noticed Trump being good at this. It, it has some kind of hold a little bit of water critiques about liberalism. It kind, mm. of, it kind of critiques northern liberals as also being racist, uh, right, in, in the right. ways that it's just not so obvious, and they almost try to make this point of like, no, the racist South actually, uh, we we actually interact with black people. We're actually the not racist. Right. Like this kind of narrative still gets used a little well, bit. Well, it's because that that narrative is is driven in in this. Uh, we're getting very political. We'll get back to. Well, we're talking in, about in the nation. Seconds, we're gonna move but, off and get into yeah, the fun yeah. stuff in but, a second. But it truly is, you know, and and that's part of what this film does uh, is it just kind of puts you in a box, right? You're either this or you're mm-hmm. this. So if you're not what I am, then I've got all of these weapons to point at you and tell everybody yep. how you're different from us mm-hmm. and how you're not right and I'm right. And and some of those things because, you know, life's messy and dirty and people are, are people, you know, and, and do do things differently. You know, some of that can hold water and make a little sense to you even. I mean, I've heard things that, you know, on both sides that, that are pointing at, at the other side and I'm just stopping at Republicans and Democrats and not like branching out beyond sure, that. Sure, but, sure. but just, you know, kind of the back and forth there where, you know, if you make an intelligent conversation, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, mm-hmm. you're going to get even people on the other side of, of your opinion to go, well, you know, yeah. eh, that, that's not untrue, but it's not the whole picture, you know, yeah, is exactly. usually what the problem is. Of course. Know? And that's how films like that. Things are much more nuanced than that. You sure. Know? And that's how we get kind of propaganda films. So let's say Birth sure. of a Nation is, is a propaganda film. Leads us to a really big... Um, I think the biggest, maybe the biggest uh, propaganda film of all time. And yeah. certainly the ramifications where film had a direct impact on a population 
that went on to do something massive. Oh, um, absolutely. So, yeah. Triumph of the Will. 1935. Uh, Lenny Riefenstahl. Riefenstahl? Uh, Something yeah. like that. Yeah, some German name. Yep. But they, they do some good shots. The opening of this is all shot from a, from a plane. It's brilliantly shot. Yeah. Like, no one argues with the quality of this. I mean, even today, I mean, mm-hmm. you look at it and you're just kind of disturbed about where it's heading uh-huh. and where it's taking you. But, but the quality can't be denied. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, and I would say with this and similarly with, like, Battleship Potemkin from yep. Russia, uh, countries were starting to get an idea that how powerful film could be Absolutely. for... I mean, you've got a certain narrative. Yeah. Even by the thirties, especially I should say by the thirties, I mean, you had, I mean, gosh, the vast majority of the population were seeing a movie a week at a movie theater, you know? I mean, so you had a captive audience and people like, you know, Hitler and, and other (laughs) Roosevelt too, you know, realized like, Oh, we have people sitting in the dark, paying attention, looking at a screen why not put our stuff up there? Yeah, and that's you know? and then that's how kind of we get news on the march and everything. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. All the all the uh, the kind of news briefs and stuff that happened during, especially during World War II, that really took off uh, in the in the '40s. There um, came into place because that was an easy place for people, you know, to go get that news. Thankfully, you had people like John Huston and George Stevens and John Ford and and William Wyler and so on sure. out there capturing you know this footage for people to see, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it became a it became an, a quick tool in the market of cinema to inform the public. Yeah, you know, for lack and, of a better right. word, and inform could mean a lot. Of yeah, things. right. That's what I mean. So, uh, but that said, I mean, so you take those first ones, dainty politicians, kind of a funny, you know, corrupt politician short, Birth of a Nation, kind of the first real film, and is very dark. And Triumph of the Will takes us even darker. So, four years after Triumph of the Will, there's a film that comes out called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Let's bring it stateside. Let's bring it stateside. Right? Um, and so, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is just an absolute, not, I wouldn't even say an attack. It's just an absolute um, look at how politicians can become corrupt even if they're decent people and Mm -hmm. and just like how the system can kind of start you know taking over your perspectives it can slant the you know Uh the influence of other senators the influence of other you know other politicians across the board the influence of of your constituency Mm -hmm. and what you need to provide to them what you've promised them versus what you've promised others at a higher level uh, who may have given you some money. Like, yeah. all of those things are touched on, you know, very well in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Absolutely. And just, it, it notes that it's a really intangible divide, but somewhere you become a citizen or a person under uh, under the laws of a country, and at some point you become part of the lawmaking class. And it really, like, has a vague, uh, you know, what changes in between just being a person and becoming a politician. Right. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, and truly, like, this was the, the first time, you know, we had that kind of, and we, and we did it so well. We did it with Frank Capra, you know, yep. and we did it with Jimmy Stewart, who is the most wonderful everyman 
movie star that's ever lived, probably. Jimmy Stewart. I yeah, mean, come just on. especially like 1939 wow. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, <laughs> just all shucks and so handsome and, you uh-huh. know, just as American looking as anyone's ever looked American, right, right. you know. Uh, so it was perfect. And, and it was a huge hit. So people realized, like, oh, we can do this. We can kind of be political, you know, as long as we're making larger statements, as long sure. as it's not too specific. Uh, if you and, can connect and, it to people. Yeah, and people will connect to that, and they'll come out and see it. Um, um, and then you put on this list coming right after this is Grapes of Wrath, which is probably one of my favorites. Yeah, no, I, I think it's got one of the most beautifully shot films of all time. Um, I think, and I know people love The Searchers, and I love The Searchers, but I think... Um, God, it might be John Ford's best. I mean, um, it's it's so good, and the characters and Henry of this Fonda are so good. So good. Like, yeah, everybody's so good. Um, uh, but it was certainly you know dealing head on 1940, looking back on a decade of uh, depression, you depression, know? dust bowl, um, be- becoming a migrant. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, just the the nobody before that, like the idea, you know, when you were born and grew up if you were born and grew up in kentucky or pennsylvania or missouri or where that's kind of where you were Uh you know most people didn't leave for generations and that's how you end up you know with your people being from california or whatever is because of this migration yeah where all of these people were just stuck in a position where life's got to be better somewhere else we're going to try you know and they were just trying to follow work you know more than just any kind of a job anything that's going to lead to work well fruit fields, all those things, yep. and, and orchards and everything in California and along the way, you know, help sustain, you know, untold numbers of families. Oh, of course. And I think it's really, really almost pristinely captured uh, oh, here with sure. Ford. Like, he does such a good job of it. And dealing with a Steinbeck novel, yeah. you really are changing perspective of where you're seeing a movie come from. Yeah, and I, from I mean, to start with people. that, right, to start with Steinbeck, who, you know, is one of the greatest writers of American literature, and is certainly a man of that time, and witnessed oh, yeah. it in his own life, and wrote about it brilliantly. Um, then we get to a big one. Yeah, there's a big one right after that, a year later, and, and it, it I hesitated putting it on, but I think from that kind of big perspective, it's it's a bigger film than just a political film, I guess is what I'm saying. And Grapes of Wrath is too, but sure. um, there is an element of Citizen Kane that Orson Welles, you know, dives into and, and looks at uh, an interesting, I mean, I tell you, I think if you watch Citizen Kane today, you'd be shocked how relevant it is. Oh, that's what I was going to say know. is Citizen Kane might fall out of being called a political film at certain times, certain eras. But right now, especially with media conglomeracy and just his attention to detail, right. I think Citizen Cade probably, like you said, right, if we watch it right now, it's probably more on the nose than, than we're ready for. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you're just dealing with a business tycoon who starts buying the media and then decides he's going to become president. Yep. I, I mean, mean <laughs> come on. <laughs> Does it sound familiar to anyone? Wild. Um so, yeah, I mean, like, it's there and it exists in that way, um, undeniably. Uh, and then we get pretty quite political here with All the King's Men. Yeah, and this is kind of an over overlooked film. It has, has become more and more kind of overlooked. Uh, it had an awful remake in the early 2000s with Sean Penn. Uh, they tried to redo yeah. it, and it just didn't work. It was awful all over the place. But All the King's Men actually was Best Picture the year it came out oh, in 49. And, and uh 
Yeah, Broderick Crawford won Best Actor, the star of the film. Wait, who uh, wrote the book for... Uh, oh, shit. Who cares? It's, it's fine. Sorry. No, no, I should know that. But, um, yeah, God, it's a huge name, too. But uh, yeah, I looked this up. Or it was a huge book, I should say, regardless. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of gotten lost uh, as being a strong example. And, and to have you know become a best picture and everything obviously Robert of its time yes there we go, there we go. There, that was a big one maybe that's um, why Sean Penn wanted to never mind <laughs> <laughs> but regardless hey go check it out it's it's it holds up well um, the performances are great the dialogue's great uh, and it moves along it's not like a slow film or anything like that so it's fantastic um, one film I wanted to just kind of touch on uh, we're just kind of working chronologically here because it was, you know, just easier. Uh, but it's kind of the next film up, I guess, I, 51 or 52, uh, High Noon. And Fred Zinneman uh, was directing. This was really Gary Cooper's picture, you yeah, know, yeah, all, all the way through. Uh, he kind of had a hand on everything. And it was an absolute... Uh, pushback against kind of John Wayne and John Ford and this ah. macho, you know, bravado. And it, I mean, it, internally, like the, the motivations behind the film were extremely political. Ah, you know? okay. Um, Dish it out. Well, I mean, just the fact that, you know, Wayne was a, a well-known Republican sure. and um, had, at, and by 1952, was kind of number one star in the world. Sure, sure. And... I think he was just, there was a lot being talked about. John Wayne had no problem kind of talking about this. Uh, you know, the McCarthy era is, is unfolding on uh-huh. this. And this was a, a hard push uh, by Gary Cooper and, and Zeneman to go, hey, look, things are more complicated than this. Uh-huh. You know, and, and you're not always the guy in the white hat and the bravest yeah. person in the world. And sometimes it's a little more complicated and a little more convoluted and a little more nuanced and detailed than this. Sure. You and, might think you're yeah. the white hat. You might not be. Yeah, and exactly. And, I mean, it was great. I mean, Gary Cooper plays the sheriff, and he's wearing a black hat. And, you know, I mean, just kind of like flipping all those things on uh-huh. her head and not really commenting on them at all, just letting them be. But internally in Hollywood, it created an amazing stir and pitted Cooper against Wayne. Oh, you nice. Know, <laughs> uh, as kind of the beacons of their political parties. Sure, sure. You know, oh, if you're a liberal, you follow Cooper. If you're a conservative, you go with Wayne. All right. And, and they just battle. And, of course, Gary Cooper wins Best Actor and all this right. stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. It gets the accolades <laughs> because the majority of everyone in Hollywood, yeah, yeah. In Hollywood gonna, yeah. are going to fall on Cooper's side. I think at this point, uh, Reagan's still actually a de- Democrat. Yeah, yeah. He's like yeah. an FDR <laughs> Democrat at this time. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Facing the crowd. I'm not. I'm not oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this was just uh, it's got a criterion that, that came out uh, a couple of years ago. It was just on the criterion channel and went off at the end of February. Um, and I wanted to rewatch it. So I rewatched it last night, uh, paid for it, you know, on, on Amazon or whatever. Lord Amazon delivered. Uh, um, and it was it was fine. I mean, like not fine. It's a great film and it was a great version of that film but uh it's it just centers on a young man 
kind of a drifter, but he, he's just a natural character on the radio and, uh-huh. and, and shows like a transition from someone and how, I guess I'm saying this wrong. It shows the progression of what popularity can do when it enters into the political spectrum cool. and how that carries with you. Uh-huh. And so you have this very young, it's a very young Andy Griffith in a dynamic role. Like this is the guy who was basically America's father in the sixties, right? And uh-huh. Andy Griffith show. And sure, sure. Uh, I mean, he plays a, he's mon- our lawyer in the seventies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or the eighties. Yeah. 80s, Matlock. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, this is a look at how someone just progresses into becoming a monster and it's yeah. driven how the media can drive that and how you can use all of that to political ends. Great. And it's a great examination. It's a, appropriately enough. It's a Kazan film, uh, uh. <laughs> but I mean, we'll forgive him. He did. Yeah. Make yeah. A few I, good movies. Look, if you do nothing, see it for Patricia Neal's performance. She is just to, to call her like perfect would, would just about do it. She is a, All right. amazing in the in the film, um, but excellent film. Totally see it. If, and I think a lot of people haven't seen it. So, A Face in the Crowd, nineteen fifty seven. Go see it. Now you got a good doc on here. Primary for nineteen sixty. Yeah, I mean uh, it's just kind of that definitive thing, right? I mean, like uh, people Humphrey have, Kennedy, right? Yeah, and then people have kind of gone back at, back to that as like the first. Uh, modern era like this is what a campaign looks like this is the trials yeah. and tribulations that you know someone running for president is going through I mean here's you really TV get, changes things yeah here. and that was it it was also that it was like here's and here's this new medium that they're all trying to understand and yeah, deal yeah. with and and obviously Kennedy just figured it sure. out and yep. gravitated to yep. it immediately um and, you know, helps that he was, you know, cool and young and great looking and, you know, and born and, wealthy and, and his yeah. opponent was none of those things. Nope. You know? So, um, you know, it all it was it was the first president who got elected on television, yep. you know, um, and and that film captures that perfectly. And, you, yeah, you kind of get why. And then, okay, Manchurian Candidate. This one's going to stay relevant forever. OK, so, yeah, um, Gosh, I don't even know where to begin with Manchurian Candidate, but uh, John Frankenheimer basically made a trilogy of paranoia. Uh, The Manchurian Candidate, uh, a movie called Seconds uh, with Rock Hudson, uh, a real independent kind of small film, but it's really cool. And then the last one, which I also watched last night, called Seven Days in May, which I, for whatever Uh reason, it always passed me by. and It was kind of hard to get for a long time. It's now been re-released on on, uh, Blu-ray. Um, and I just fell in love with this movie in the beginning. So, I mean, we're talking about John Frankenheimer, kind of height of his powers. He, this is he's filming this the year after Manchurian Candidate, and I'll we'll come back to Manchurian Candidate. Just let me mm-hmm. harp on yeah, Seven yeah, Days in May it. for a second. Um, Frankenheimer doesn't get enough credit. First of all, like his stuff when it opens on the White House, Seven Days in May opens on the White House. People picketing in front of the White House. I mean, you talk about like timely mm-hmm. as timely can be. People mad picketing. People getting into fights. There's you know uh-huh. the Secret Service and and the the uh, uh, White House police are are uh-huh. all on the scene, breaking stuff up. So that and it's all based around this nuclear nuclear armistice that the president is about to sign. President played by Frederick March, who is amazing. All right. 
So that's that's the premise. There's we're going to have a nuclear armistice with the USSR, and everybody's going to you know basically destroy their nuclear warheads. Opposing this is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, played by Burt Lancaster as a four-star Marine Corps general. And he is amazing. His deputy is play, uh, playing his colonel um, is Kirk Douglas. Ah. And they don't show up until about 10 or 15 minutes into the film, and you're already hooked. And when they show up, you're like, oh, yeah. That's right. Two of the greatest movie stars of all time are actually going to carry us through this thing. And you've got like Edmund O'Brien and all these great, you know, character actors who are all like Academy Award winners. Uh Frederick March was as well. Um, So, I mean, like no shortage of talent. It felt like, I'll I'll tell you, when you watch it, especially given the timeline, it's like 1962, 63 when they filmed it. It's set in the in the near future, so it's set. It's a it's a hard movie to do that. Like movies didn't do like set in the near future. This is set in like 1970, so okay. they're playing with some cool things and and like what we, what we think the near future might look like. And they incorporate television and all yeah. that. Yeah, so it's great. It was really cool. And um, the thing is, like when you look at Frankenheimer's work, it's almost like, oh, this is what Godard would have done if he had money. And like it, cared to like yeah yeah it wasn't bad at polishing anything but right yeah. right but you know what I mean like there's there's that yep. element of like French New Wave like cutting and shooting sure. and it feels very documentary it's a little gritty uh, but the production value is like sky high uh-huh. just a little and, sharper yeah and so everybody just looks the coolest. And, of course, just watching, you know, Kirk Douglas and, and Burt Lancaster walk sure. around in, like, full-dress military uniforms is, like, they're, they're the good most... At it. <laughs> they're the They're the perfect people to wear those yeah, uniforms, yeah. right? And so, uh, yeah, the story just kind of takes off from there, and, and Lancaster basically has a plot to overthrow the government and become kind of the holistic leader of this free world. The man in charge. And and yeah, so and he's like making these speeches and it's a hundred percent Mussolini. Like ah. the fist in the air. I mean he's scary looking. Yeah. Lancaster is like scary looking. And apparently it was one of those things like they Kirk Douglas was going to play the role, and then he kind of thought it would be better for Lancaster. I mean, they this is one of seven films these guys have done together, so they can basically flip yeah. a coin and play off of each Which other. Which one do you however, want to do? Yeah. However they want. It's kind of a Lemon Mathau situation, you know? Um, but, I, I mean, look, I can't recommend this thing enough. I just saw it last night. I don't know why I hadn't seen it before. I do know it was kind of hard to get, but I literally threw it on as just like, ah, oh, this thing's got, like, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got right. like an 8.0 on IMDb. Like it's hugely well received and I've never seen this. How is this possible? So, it all made sense. So uh, if you're listening, rent this movie, watch it, and then next time someone brings up Manchurian Candidate, be like, ah, that one's basic. Right. No, no. That's no, simple. Yeah. Par- it, it, it's good, but uh, this I like hearing this. It's a little more uh, interesting, a little less tired. I would say the Manchurian Candidate, especially when it came out, and I, and I don't want to take anything away from it. So seven days in May... Came out in 1964. It was supposed to come out in 63, but something significant happened in 1963. We lost a president. Yes. We, and so uh, they paused up. that, and apparently they were in post-production the same time as Dr. Strangelove, Kubrick doing Dr. Uh-huh. Strangelove, and they all kind of you know, looked at each other and like, oh, I guess we're going to release this a let's, year from now. Let's hold these you know? back. Let's, yeah. let's let the dust settle for a second. So they were both 
kind of shot and ready to be released in 63 and they both held for an extra year the year prior to 63 and 62 the manchurian candidate came out and it's like it's cool it's espionage but again like frankenheimer's camera work the uh-huh. editing the crispness of what he's shooting like if you go back and look at that that black and white print of that it's so pretty like the whites are really bright white sure. the blacks are really black and the performances that he gets across the board from everybody are to great. include by the way angela lansbury is like the coolest scariest person Good alive um and yeah so i mean I, again i'm just kind of gushing over seven days in may manchurian candidate is a classic film it's a brilliant film but to think that he made those back to back and prior to that making seconds um you know, what a great trilogy. Good run. Yeah, Frankenheimer kind of did his thing in the early 60s and just crushed it. All right, we got we got a ton to go through. So I'm yeah, just yeah, going to yeah. say, let's, Dr. Strangelove see it, obviously. Yeah, uh, we've talked about a, it a ton. What a great movie. Uh, no humor better than that. I Am Cuba, see it. Wonderful propaganda, Cuban propaganda film. Totally Cuban propaganda, does it perfectly. Uh, it, it, it is almost, I think the Washington Post, I remember them calling it like a tone poem to the revolutions, you know, uh, uh, and it, it, it does that. It's amazing. Sure. And it's the, beautiful. the cinematographer is, um, Oh, Sergei Ruzevsky. The Russians came in yeah. and, and helped make this. And it is shot. Absolutely amazing. Is Nowitzki? Is that who you're talking uh, about? He's not the, uh, not the one I'm thinking of. It's Sergei Ruzevsky, I think. And the director okay. was, okay, let's see. Mikhail Kalatozov. Talisov? I'm not. You know what? I'm not going to do it well. It doesn't matter. See it. It's great. It's long, but beautiful movie. Yeah, um, really good to see. Kind of good. I saw this at Revolution. E Street like three or four years ago. I saw this, and the next day I went and saw Battle Battle of Algiers. Oh, uh, and I, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Battle of Algiers. I mean, we not that it did much, but it it was screened at the Pentagon uh, before we moved on any uh, invasions of Iraq. Yeah. Um, which, oh, interesting. Which. Uh, for good reason. I mean, it yeah. just shows like, what if you're an unwanted force in a place and then how morality just turns way different on the ground somewhere where violence is happening and we're a war zone. Yeah. I mean, the, the term, you know, ground truth, you know, really is valid. Yep. Um, you put the candidate, wonderful movie, spooky sat by a door. We did a whole episode on this. It is. okay. Oh yeah. No, I mean like, listen, it, it is the best movie to see with some people. You know, oh, yeah. like if you're sitting home on a Wednesday, Tuesday night tonight and you throw this on, you might not have the best time. Yeah, yeah. It's a little, you know, I mean, the production values are, are, you know, it's a B movie. Yep. Uh, and, and it's definitely like black exploitation, you know, uh, in that wheelhouse and in that timeline. But if you watch it with a couple of friends and you happen to have a couple of cocktails or whatever going on, it's a great It's time. fun and it's got some great uh, political satire. Absolutely. I mean, satire and commentary, really yeah, should, yeah. should not be uh, dismissed, but also just kind of fun as a silly movie. So I think the next one on the list that we have here, and again, people, we understand we're not going to get to everything. There, I'm yeah. sure you're thinking of things we haven't mentioned. I have two. We just can't get to them. But this one we have to talk about a little bit. You're saying being there or all the president's men? Well, first all the president's men okay. in 76, <laughs> which I'm telling you, you can put on right now. Spot on. And 45 minutes in, you're biting your fingernails. You know, like you're still, I know the outcome. I know it all by heart. I've seen this movie 10 times. I can still put it on and 
and when they're standing out in front and Jason Robards is Jason Robards is in his robe. Oh yeah. You know, talking to him, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest movie ever. It's so good. Um, so and then following that with being there. Well, I say being there like is just ominous. Like <laughs> it, watch it. It's the, the it's Hal Ashby, right? Yeah, Hal Ashby. It, yeah. It's just a completely Peter Sellers' last film. Peter Sellers nails it. One of the best roles he's ever done, but maybe one of my favorite roles of all time. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and they they said that they thought them putting the uh, part where he cracks up on the credits, you know, uh-huh. like the goo. They said that killed his chances at the. Oh, like come everybody on. thought he was going to like receive the Oscar, and they they said that that hurt his like yeah. people's view of his performance. It is a yeah. little. It is a little it cheap. Felt at the weird. End. It is yeah, a little cheap at the weird. end of such a good movie. Um, well, you know, we'll play the clip from the ending of the movie at the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, it, just see it. See being there. Oh yourself. my god! It's incredible. Yeah. Shirley MacLaine and yeah, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so we have Missing, 1980. Do the right. Oh yeah. Hold we'll on. Talk just, about Missing. Just yeah, yeah. for a second. Yeah. Costa Vargas Missing. Um, this was a strange film. Like I had seen it and I didn't really get it. I didn't understand what was going on. So it's about this. You know. Uh, young couple that, that head off to, to Central America um, to you know do their part uh, to try to try to help the, the the I'm trying to remember where it happened. God, I'm so so far behind on this. Um, oh, give me. Oh, the Chilean coup, the 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 Chilean coup d'état in in '73. So they're they're down in Chile, uh, in South America, and and they're. This couple, one one half of the couple, happens to be Sissy Spacek, and her husband gets abducted in this process. Like they're out on the streets one day, things get crazy, they get separated. He gets rolled up as a political activist, which he was. Okay, and then his father, Jack Lemon, Jack yeah. Lemon on the case, like Jack Lemon, like you've never seen him, shows up, pissed, hates Sissy Spacek, uh-huh. and like they're tied together to try to go find his try son find because him. she's the only one that knows the way around. And he's just like, how the fuck did you do this? How did you let my son, yeah, how did you drag fault. my yeah. son into this? You know? So it's, again, just a great film by a great political filmmaker. Um, very well done. It's the ultimate, like, don't get arrested at the protest. Your parents, and then they can't find you. But if right. you got arrested in the protest in Chile during a coup. <laughs> right. <laughs> Chances it's are one it's going to be even harder. Uh, do the right thing. Absolutely wonderful politics in that. I mean, that. For sure. It's just. Go on and, and we talked about that film a lot. Um, Malcolm X, incredible film. Spike Lee, Denzel Washington's performance is great. Without a doubt. Uh, definitely one of the greatest political thinkers of our time, or before my time, but of the 20th century. Right. Uh, see it. It's, it's a wonderful. bit long. Yeah, it's long. It, <laughs> it's, is, it is long. A, it is a it long It is very film. long. I mean, you're... Even before he gets arrested, you're like almost an hour into the oh, movie. Oh, for sure, sure. I, re- I remember like... Before he kind of changes his look, you're like, oh, we had like a whole you're movie. in the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like we had a whole movie whole already. First part. Uh, uh, and then you put Lone Star. I haven't seen this. Oh, okay. So that shouldn't be any surprise when I tell you who made it. John Sayles. Oh, uh, of course. Who has done a lot of, you know, smaller political films. This one actually is kind of been brought back in the forefront. I've heard it mentioned a couple of times just uh, in the last year or so. Because it deals with like a Texas border town, and it it does it takes a really interesting look at what um, 
migration means in terms of you know the mexican oh, sure, migration sure, sure. into the united states and and how um we deal with immigration and without and all the while like telling you this very tightly knit very cool mystery you know that you're following but all of these things are kind of happening along it. with it all right and it just gives you this great picture of like Oh, this is what like an El Paso type city, you know, in America in the mid '90s looked like. You, you know? got me at Border Town and John Sales. Oh, it's so good. All it's right. my favorite John Sales film aside from Mate One. Oh, great! Um, Passion Fish is pretty good. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna put uh, this one is one of my favorites of the '90s. Uh, ah. It's a pretty cheesy movie with Warren Beatty, uh, but Bullworth has great commentary on politics. Uh, can we Do play we have a clip? Yeah. Can we play the clip from him campaigning in a in a church? I love this clip uh, from Bullworth. Less is more. When the riots and civil unrest went down about four years ago. You promised us federal funding to rebuild our community. What happened? Well, what happened was that uh, we all knew that was going to be big news for a while, so we all came down here, Bush, Clinton, Wilson, all of us. We got our pictures taken, told you what you wanted to hear, and we, we pretty much forgot about it. <laughs> Did he just say what I think he said? Let's see where he's going with this. Down here. We can't get health insurance, fire insurance, life insurance. Why haven't you come out for Senate Bill 2720? Well, because you, you, you haven't really contributed any money to my campaign, have you? You got any idea how much these insurance companies come up with? They pretty much depend on me to get a bill like that and bottle it up in my committee during an election. And in that way, we can kill it when you're not looking. Fred, when you... <laughs> I love it. Damn, a little too on the nose, Warren Beatty. Yeah, I mean, like, that was... I feel like that was kind of his last, you know... Yeah, and he's a political guy. He's got oh, great no, politics. Oh, no, extremely, extremely yeah. Po- uh, political, yeah. No, but yeah, that was one of his last moments of being able to pull something like that off. Uh, then you got the War Room uh, from 90s, 93. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see what a political campaign in the modern era looks like, uh, watch War Room still. You know, it still holds up. Um. You did put Wag the Dog on here. I did. Um, it's an interesting film uh, for this reason. I, a, it's quite funny, and, and we've got a great clip uh, from that kind of showing what that is. But um, if you're not familiar with this film, David Mamet, um, so you can take it or leave it depending on your feelings about Mamet. But um, they do a great job of kind of showing how public, re- you know, public affairs, public relations... Um, can shape people's perception, mm-hmm. and they basically it's basically um, a political team, oh, yeah. uh, like chief of staff that that flies out to Hollywood and finds this Robert Evans type of producer in Dustin Hoffman, who is hilarious and wonderful, uh, to basically Fe- start a war, yeah, you know, fabricate like fabricate a war, a war yeah. I should say, yeah, like make a move, make a make a movement that looks like there's a war. And don't change a horse in midstream. Don't change your horses in midstream. We're going to get Willie Nelson to do an old song. We're yeah. gonna get, you know, like the whole thing. We, the we've got a, we need a hero. So they find Woody Harrelson. He's like yep. this crazy cockeyed dude, but it, well, it all works like, and, and it's, it's just great satire. All right, yeah. there are so many more movies, but we are running out of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gosh. You know, we can always revisit. I even wanted to do a thing of the best movies from each state that are doing it today, but we're going to oh, run yeah, out of that. We'll, that we'll, maybe we'll put these on something. Uh, well, let's listen to that clip of Dustin Hoffman uh, from Whack the Dog and 
Uh, vote today if you're in a Super Tuesday state, and you're going to vote for Bernie. Otherwise, you and know, vote have a day off. Take a day off. Definitely vote in November. And uh, here's Dustin Hoffman and De Niro. Yep. Here they are. You're not kidding. I'm in show business, yes? Why come to me? Well, I'll tell you why, Mr. Moss. 5445, what does that mean? It's a slogan. It's from the... Remember uh, the main. Yeah, that's from... That's got to be... Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. No, that's not... Uh, well, they're war slogans, Mr. Moss. Uh, we remember the slogans, we can't even remember the fucking wars. You know why? Why? It's show business. Uh-huh. That's why we're here. I see. Naked girl, covered in napalm. V for victory. Five Marines raising the flag. Mount Suribachi. Mm-hmm. You remember the picture 50 years from now, you'll have forgotten the war. Mm-hmm. The Gulf War. Smart bomb falling down the chimney. 2,500 missions a day. 100 days. One video of one bomb, Mr. Moss. The American people bought that war. Mm-hmm. War is show business. That's why we're here.